0: Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97-5 and 1280 the zone. So the Utah Jazz get the win. And once again, huge lead. Big struggles early fourth quarter. And then they rally a great finish to the game. They really 19-5 to 5 to close the game. They just really put it on Orlando at the end to wipe out a seven-point deficit and win the game. So, the Jazz get the win. we got the best of post-game show coming up. But we're going to start with some college football. PK up at the U for their bowl practice, talking with Cam Rising. Now, he's eligible now. He can play in the bowl game. We'll see if we get to see him a little bit in the Alamo Bowl or not. Obviously, there's going to be a quarterback battle. Signing day is today. We're expecting a couple of transfer quarterbacks from Baylor in South Carolina to sign, so that means some real competition in the spring for the quarterback job. What does Rising think of that? PK with the media and Rising on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.
1: They're fun to work with, so it's just, it just made it easy always being around some good people. Do you feel like in, in some ways that gives you a leg up, knowing that, that you're going against their top guys and you kind of get a scheme a little bit differently than maybe if you're taking backup reps to Tyler or something yeah. like that? Um, absolutely. I mean, it just... That's a damn good defense now. I mean, that, 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 that it's hard to go against, and and the whole scout team all the, the year have been have been doing a great job, and, and in some cases even better than some of the teams that we went against earlier in the week and so it's been it's been a fun experience and just just look glad i got to experience all that we've heard that you've been kind of the the host for a lot of these quarterbacks that are either transferring mm-hmm. or maybe being recruited i mean what's that like knowing that you're you're recruiting guys that are essentially your same position um at the end of the day we're it's a team it's a team sport and and one guy can go down so you always want to have the best at, at each position whether it's front uh, first string back uh, backup or anything like that so just making sure that the team is as, as good as possible and having a good quarterback room just iron sharpens our Iron sharpens iron, right there there we go and and it just it just makes everyone better it makes the team better as a unit just having as, as good of players as you can have you feel like these guys are receptive to that i mean they're probably not getting a lot of quarterbacks when they go on their recruiting visits elsewhere um i mean i i haven't had one person complain yet so i don't i don't think you know i, I we've all had a good time and so it's been good so far yeah
0: so you've, you you maximize the scout team experience, but Absolutely. having said that, what's it like to to get real offensive reps now? Well,
1: it's, it's nice. It's, it's a lot different than just looking at a card and having to run that. But it's it's helped me develop more as a as a quarterback. So I can't I can't complain there. And just getting uh, good reps running the offense. That, I hope to be running for the next
0: few years it's, 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 good. it's good did you realize all season long that when the bowl game came around you would be eligible to play in it and
1: um i i my brother had he went to asu and jack jones had played so he had mentioned it and then i was i, I didn't pay much mind to it until they had talked to me and told me to make sure i emailed my presses my professors to get my grades posted and then it all started coming to fruition and just started to understand that, that that can happen.
2: Did you find any sense of, I don't know if irony is the right word, but of all the teams to play in a bowl game, it's your former team?
1: No, I mean, it, it's, just, it's just another game. I'm not really paying too much mind to it. It's just team that, uh, that I happened to be on last year, so that's it. Are relationships, do you still have any? Oh, absolutely. I talk to talk to a lot of those guys all the time, and uh, even talked about hanging out with them a little bit while we're in San, San Antonio together, and just, yeah. So it's actually something
2: you're looking forward to then?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I haven't seen those guys in about a year now, so I, it's going to be fun.
2: And with your eligibility, do you have any anticipation, or are they giving you any information as far as possibly playing? Uh, they no, Nothing has been mentioned
1: about that. We haven't talked about that, just just going through bowl prep right now, trying to get better each, each and every day.
2: Now how big is it for you after sitting out, you basically sat out two years, this off season and then spring ball where you'll be able to legitimately compete yeah. for the starting job? Um, I mean, it's just gonna be
1: c- uh, competition all the time. We got some good quarterbacks in the room and, and just looking forward to, to getting better, you know, developing as a player and as a person around with those guys. How
2: much do you feel you know of Andy's offense when you get that opportunity?
1: Um, I feel like I know pretty much everything. It's just repping it and getting getting those reps down and just applying it to the field. That's pretty much all, all I really need to solidify to,
2: to just further my knowledge. So when you do take the field, what can we expect as far as what we'll see, what your strengths will be? Uh, a competitor, a guy that's going to compete each down and try to put the,
1: uh, the team in the best position to win.
2: Knowing Texas like you do with them firing Todd
0: Orlando and Kyle said, you have no idea what kind of defense you might face. It might be the same, might be tweaked, it might be radically different. What do you kind of expect knowing a little bit about Texas? Um,
1: knowing about like, what I know about them, I feel like they're going to just try to play defense try to stop the run and make us pass the ball. And
2: been doing I mean do you, know, yeah. you think of well, like three things, things
1: weeks, well, So, that's a league, so right. it, I mean it's, it's going to be a different experience for them seeing a the, the team that can run the ball with. what attracted you to Texas originally? You know, cool. I uh, it's a long story my, my mom and Tom Herman actually went to the same elementary school in Simi Valley and he kind of won my mom's heart over I me mean, he, he sung a little song every day or something like that and it just, it just felt right at the time and, you know. and what about the experience of playing there just being part of that tradition it was awesome it was like like I said it's a, it's a great group of guys I still have a lot of love for them and I'm and, you know, just looking look, look forward to going back out there and getting to see some of them and,
0: There's Cam Rising. Some people want to call him Bad Moon. It seems like we shouldn't do that. I'm going to pass on that for now. We'll let that go. Uh, when we come back, it is signing day. Brandon Huffman joined us late in yesterday's show. Works for uh, 24-7 Sports. Does a lot of recruiting. Is their national recruiting guy. And we'll hear from him next. Stay with us
3: take the zone with you wherever you go let's go download the all-new zone sports network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show from salt lake to shanghai provo to portugal or ogden to oslo wherever you go We'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Brandon Huffman from twenty-four seven Sports National Recruiting uh, Writer joined us. On the show, late in the show yesterday, to talk about signing day today. He'll make a few references to tomorrow, but guys are going to be signing today. But still, to get his thoughts on how things are going at Utah, how poorly things are going at USC, how well things are going at Oregon, what he thinks of BYU and Utah State's classes, here he is with PK and I. Brandon, good morning.
4: How's it going, guys?
0: It is going well. It is time for the high school athletes to make their decisions, sign their letters of intent. And I'm curious, the Utes never seem to do very well in the rankings, whether it's yours or somebody else's. And that's just what we're told because we don't look at anybody else's. We just look at yours, Brandon. We're locked down on you. Uh, but they never seem to do well in those. And yet, they're averaging nine wins a year over the last six years. Uh, how do we explain that?
4: I think you just look at the coach running the program, the, the longevity he's had there obviously the development that his assistant coaches do at that position and just the ability to really develop those players once they get on campus. I don't think there's anybody that's done a better job on the West Coast, and you really can make an argument that nationally nobody has done a better job developing lower-rated players, uh, if you will, and turn them into NFL prospects and and consistently win like Kyle Whittingham has done the last – Decade, really since they came into the Pac-12. And so I think you just chalk it up to outstanding coaching and player development. All
5: right,
2: yeah, I can't argue any of that. Uh, they still need some studs when you look at their recruiting. Who are some of these potential studs that they might get?
3: Well,
4: that they might get. That's the thing. They actually could close in a really strong fashion. They are in line right now to potentially land uh, three four-star players, two from the state of Utah, uh, one being Zager Carlton, his father played for Utah in the 90s. He moved back into Salt Lake City where he was born. Uh, earlier in the year, coming out of Central California, he visited Utah two weeks ago, canceled a visit to Washington, actually visited Ohio State in November, but it's looking like the youths are going to get him. Uh, Van Fillinger, who was one time committed to Texas out of Corner Canyon, looking like he's going to be leaning towards signing with Utah. And then uh Molai from Pudahoe High School over in Hawaii. He visited over the weekend. Probably won't announce until February, uh, or at least sign until February, but a lot of indications are that he's going to sign with Utah. But the real big fish is the fact that they got Clark Phillips, who's the number four corner in the country, a top 50 player nationally. He's been committed to Ohio State since the summer. He took a visit to Utah over the weekend, and he's actually starting to really have second thoughts about going as far as Columbus, Ohio, Utah's one of the first schools to offer him. He took the visit this weekend, and now there's a lot of speculation that Utah might pull off one of the bigger flips uh, in all of signing day and getting one of the pure cover top cover corners on the West Coast in this class.
0: So, if you look at the nine years they've been in the Pac-12, the Utes' win total, uh, you know, was 18 wins and one bowl appearance the first three years. The next three years, they they pretty much averaged nine wins a year and. And have a pretty good run and win 28 games. But these last three years, they've obviously got the two division titles on top of it. So it, it looks like with kind of every group of classes, they're making progress. Should Ute fans expect another step forward in these next three years? Where they're going to look back and say, hey, that was measurably better than the three years that came before it.
4: There's no question. And while they may look at this class and say, well, how come this class doesn't end up as highly ranked considering the the year that they've had, you usually see the bigger bump in what your previous season has done in the following recruiting class. Because for the majority of the recruits in the 2020 class, decisions were made in August and September or up to that point before the youth had the season that they had. A lot of these guys had already named their top five, narrowed it down to it of school, three schools that they were looking at, I think they'll really see the bump in the 2021 class. And that's where you start to expect, okay, we've had now these three 10-win seasons. We've had your consecutive uh, Pac-12 South titles recruiting should catch up. And I think that that's what recruits look at. And they've seen that measured consistency, but really that next step to, okay, they've been in the Pac-12 championship game two years in a row. Maybe I'm that one difference maker that gets them over the hump in the Pac-12 championship game. in 2021, I think is where Utah's really positioning themselves to have a fantastic class. But I also think that you don't throw 2020 into the wind just yet, because if they can close with, you know, three of those four of fillinger carlton or phillips that's a heck of a way to end in the 2020 recruiting cycle but it gives you more momentum to go into 2021 and showing that the translation from the field is working in recruiting
2: so which schools are coming into the state of utah and taking which players
4: Well, Oregon has always kind of made a living off of cherry-picking top players from the state of Utah, whether it was, you know, Pinay Sewell years ago, going back to Haladinada, you know, several years ago. They've they've had a number of players that they've been able to get, and they're back again. They're coming in, and they get Noah Sewell this time. And Noah Sewell is one of the premier players in all of high school football, a five-star inside linebacker, you know, one of the most unique and kind of rare. 265-pound linebackers, you'll see move in space. They've always done a really good job in state. USC has always done a good job in the state of Utah. You know, In the last few years, getting J2 Fele a couple years ago uh, away from Utah and BYU. Um, you know, going back to Stanley Heavily and then several players in between, I-, I think USC has done a really good job uh, of getting top kids. And Washington uh, historically has done a good job in it, especially during the Chris Peterson area, Keiko Malloy, who had been on staff at Utah State, done a really good job in the state of Utah. So I think what that means is two things. It means that, A, Utah, BYU, and Utah State have to recruit that much harder. But, B, there's a very, very large measure of respect for the caliber of players in the state of Utah that so many national programs, it used to be just Pac-12 programs that really came into the state of Utah to recruit. Now you've got programs coast-to-coast, up and down the country, that are coming into Utah to try to get those guys to leave the state.
0: It looks like the Utes might be able to keep five of the top seven players at home, with one of them playing basketball and not playing football, and Mason Falslev, and then obviously losing Sewell to Oregon. So I checked some of the other Western states, and it seems like that's kind of unusual. It seems like in most states, the guys are really scattering. That Recruiting is uh, na- certainly regional, and, and for some guys, it's national. And it doesn't look like a lot of schools are having a lot of success locking up a backyard anymore.
4: I actually just did a feature story on that last week just talking about the exodus of West Coast players leaving the state and going and playing nationally. You know, it's one thing if a kid leaves California and goes to play at Washington. It's one thing if a kid leaves Arizona and goes to play at Oregon. You know, if a kid leaves Utah and goes to play Colorado, you understand it. They're staying in the Pac-12 footprint. But when you look at the top 10 players in the state of California, you got one going to Clemson, one going to Alabama, one going to LSU, one going to Ohio state, one going to Georgia. You got six of your top nine guys that are looking like they're heading outside of the Pac-12 footprint. And then the guys that are undecided, a couple of them are leaning towards leaving the region as well. So California has really been leading these last few years, and I think that that's really starting to trickle down to the rest of the states in the West where they're seeing more and more guys from the Western footprint leaving the Pac-12 region and going to the Big Ten, going to the SEC, going to the ACC, and it's becoming far more common. I've always felt like West Coast kids. Were the most open to leading the region, but now you're seeing it more and more, and these guys are going to bigger and bigger schools. You've got Alabama, which starts a backfield. that has got a running back from California and a quarterback from Hawaii. That's noticed by the ensuing recruiting classes, that if the big school like Alabama is going to recruit and they're going to come in and take guys from the West Coast, then I think I want to go and be a part of that too because West Coast guys have gone before me and kind of blazed that trail.
2: How hotly contested is the competition among all the schools, not just in the West, but maybe whoever decides to come out here for top-flight quarterbacks?
4: I mean, it's as strong as it's ever been. It's as hotly contested as it's ever been because you want to recruit these quarterbacks, but then you also have to do it essentially – nowadays with the transfer portal with the guarantee that you're going to play as soon as you get to campus. So you've got to have a track record of showing that younger quarterbacks are getting a chance to play and maybe getting on the field early on in their career there, rather than having to wait like in the old days where, you know, if you came as a freshman, you probably weren't seeing the field till you were a redshirt junior. You spent three years learning that system. Now you have quarterbacks that are putting their names in the portal before they finish their first fall camp. So, if you're an Alabama, if you're a Clemson, if you're a Georgian, you're coming and recruiting quarterbacks out west. Yeah, you want them from a talent standpoint, but you also really got to sell the kid and their family and all the people around them that they're going to get a fair shot because that kid's much more likely to put his name in the portal because he's in no man's land. He's in a region where he's not from, where he's not used to being. I remember what happened to Jacob Eason a few years ago. He was a starting quarterback in Georgia as a true freshman, originally committed to Mark Rick, Kirby Smart takes over, convinces Eason to stay. Eason starts his freshman year, starts the first game of the sophomore year, gets hurt, Jake Fromm comes in. When Eason was healthy, Jake Fromm never unstarted. Jake Fromm started every game since. Jacob Eason left. The next year, Justin Fields left. Jacob Eason knew he had no chance beating out a Georgia kid at the University of Georgia, so coaches have to figure out how they're going to sell these kids on trusting them coming across the country, but then also feeling like they have a legitimate chance to play because quarterbacks, as a rule, transfer more than any quarterback or any position. And so now you've got to convince these guys not to put their name in the portal and to stick it out, but you better play those guys earlier; they're going to get cold feet and want to leave.
0: Brandon Huffman, 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Editor, joining us. So to that point, I think for a long time there was an assumption if a quarterback gets beat out and transfers, well, what are the odds he's really going to blow up? And then we look at the Heisman finalists this year and everybody's transferred and these elite teams that are getting ready for playoff games the transfer quarterbacks it doesn't seem to be that big a deal so should we be looking just just in the west alone asu's losing a quarterback usc's losing a quarterback to san diego state maybe they'll lose another who knows the utah looked like they could have two quarterbacks coming in how many of these guys are going to hit it big are we seeing a transition there
4: I think that you will see a transition. I think you'll see, you know, well, let me me rephrase that. I think you're going to continue to see quarterbacks lead because they want to play. And, you know, the the long standing kind of, you know, when when a quarterback would transfer the, the shade that was thrown at them was like, oh, they're afraid to compete. No, I think quarterbacks transfer because they want to compete. But unlike four receivers that are playing on the field at the same time or, you know, three linebackers, four linebackers playing at a time, one quarterback can play. So if you're second on the depth chart, you're not gonna get a chance to play. If you're even further down the depth chart, the opportunity to play is not even in sight. So you wanna go to a situation where you're going to play and that's why you're seeing more and more quarterbacks leaving and then finding success. But it almost feels like there's two parts to it. There's, the key is if you can get immediate eligibility, whatever you use in your your, your uh, application or whatever it is in, in your appeal to try to play immediately like Justin Fields is able to do, you want to do that because you've probably transferred because you didn't play that year. Now you're going to lose another year to sit out and you're really no valuable to a coaching staff. If you're just a deaf guy and you can't even play if there's an injury. So guys are looking for that immediate appeal to be able to play right away. Uh, but if the NCAA cracks down on that, like they say that they're going to and their archaic transfer policy remains, then I think it hurts the quarterbacks, and now they're finding themselves in the transfer portal, basically telling the school that they're at right now they don't want to be there anymore, but also not being very attractive to other schools. So I think we may see, depending on how the NCAA handles the appeals process, you may see a little bit more foot on the brake when it comes to quarterback transferring because there are no guarantees, and there doesn't seem to be any rhyme, reason, or method to how the NCAA rules for quarterbacks to be eligible when one gets to play and then another doesn't. I think that's something quarterbacks have to take into mind. And the last thing is I think some quarterbacks are making a calculated risk, but they overplay their hand. They put themselves in the portal thinking, hey, there's just like high school and I had 40 offers, and now they can't even break the 40 at a school that's 5-7. and seven. That's going to be a red flag to a coach at the school that they may be looking at like, hey, if you weren't even good enough to play on a mediocre team, what value are you going to bring to us?
2: Can you handicap the Pac-12 as far as who's where?
4: Oregon right now is at the top, and I think that they've just done a fantastic job under Mario Crystal Ball in recruiting. Obviously, the way he recruited when he was at Alabama, uh, the way he closed when he was at Alabama, including one year where he was the SEC uh, Recruiter of the Year, and then the National Recruiter of the Year with some of the linemen he closed with, that's carried over to his time at Oregon. He's got a bunch of assistant coaches that have the reputation for being great recruiters that have to live up to ex- pretty much what he expects. Washington right behind them, interestingly enough, even with the coaching transition from Chris Peterson to Jimmy Lake, it doesn't look like there's going to be any kind of people in Washington's class leading that class. They haven't lost any commits since that transition was announced. In fact, they they gained a commit uh, in Jacoby Covington, who was committed to them at one time, opened things up. A lot of those concerns if Jimmy Lake was even going to be there, and then once Jimmy Lake was announced as head coach, he went back in. Stanford, which seems to lose a player to the portal every day these days, uh, is, is right there looking at third in the Pac-12. And then UCLA, Cal, Colorado kind of round out the top half. Uh, but then you got, you know, down at the bottom, you got looks glaring. Utah has one of the smallest classes in the Pac-12, so they're at 12th, but they're going to close strong. The one that's the most glaring is USC at 11th. With only 10 commits, they lost a couple of low-rank three-stars who decommitted. USC is struggling on the field uh, in, in terms of of what people like what they're seeing from Clay Hilton but they're really struggling in recruiting largely because there was so much uncertainty about Clay Hilton.
0: Are either BYU or Utah State punching above their weight?
4: I think that you know BYU has a really good class, and I think that they're going to be able to close pretty strong. Uh, Utah State, I would say they're probably a little bit disappointed with where their class is at right now, but I think the Mountain West, kind of generally speaking, since the early signing period has been instituted, the Mountain West really seems to pick up more action in the February signing day after the Pac-12 kind of gets. You know their first pick of the land. Then the Mountain West really gets to kind of close with who they want. So I think Utah State will end up closing strong in the last couple of days. They've gotten some really good commitments. Xavion uh, Steele is a three-star cornerback out of Fullerton, uh, Fullerton College in Fullerton, California. Uh, and then Luke Marion, who's one of my favorite players in this class. He's a top-ten player in the state of Oregon. His father, Brock Marion, former uh, Dallas Cowboy and Miami Dolphins safety, played at Nevada, was a star in Nevada, and Luke was down to Utah State and Nevada. And Utah State being the first to offer him, that really played a big role in getting him. So they got his commitment last week. Uh, BYU, obviously, I think that, you know, the losing uh, Andrew Gentry out of Colorado, a player that I think that they felt really good about a player that they thought that they were going to get, he ended up picking Bronco Mendenhall in Virginia. That was kind of a goal because he's the number two player in the state of Colorado. And most people thought, I think every crystal ball was on BYU for him uh, and he picked Virginia, but, some of the other guys they have in this class that are really good, obviously love Bodie Schoonover from American Fork. Uh, they've got a, a really good offensive lineman that I saw earlier in the year and Isaiah Tupo out of Grant High School in Sacramento. Uh, and then Josh Wilson uh, out of Corner Canyon. Draper linebacker. And then the new commander they just got I think yesterday was Micah Harper out of Basha High School in Chandler, Arizona. A fast kid who can play corner. Uh, he's just a speedster. So I think they're actually closing really well, but the Andrew Gentry one is probably going to be one that kind of hurts for a little while because I think that was a shock to everybody.
0: Brandon, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Anytime. Alright, there's a little recruiting talk. When we come back, the Jazz get a win, but Mike Conley gets hurt again. We'll get to that coming up. Stay with us.
3: From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go! Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network.
0: Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So the Utah Jazz get the win. They beat Orlando. Great start to the third quarter. Blew the game wide open. They were up, not quite by 20, almost by 20 points. They had 16, 17, 18 point leads, sustained them for quite a while. And then late third, it started to slip away. Early fourth, it all went away. Somehow they found themselves down seven late. But a big dunk for Donovan Mitchell, and they rally and win. Let's get to the best of the post game show by 97.5 and 12.80 of the zone.
6: your jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Jazz beat the Magic last night at Vivint Smart Home Arena 109-102. Bojan Bogdanovic had 30 points. Donovan Mitchell had 30 points as well. That's the first time that uh, two Jazz players have had 30-plus points since uh, Darren Williams and Carlos Boozer did it way back in 2008. Uh, The Jazz blew a big lead, and this one ended up down 7 in the fourth quarter. Donovan Mitchell with a monster dunk with about 4 minutes to go kind of led the Jazz run to close out the game. They ended up winning by 7. Donovan hitting several big shots down the stretch, Jazz played really, really well in the first half, and then played a really great uh, final few minutes of this one to come away with a win. Before a big three-game road trip coming up uh, before Christmas, let's get you some post-game sound. Let's start with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder.
7: What happened with uh,
8: Mike Conley there in the fourth quarter? Um, they're evaluating him right now, so I'm not going to speculate. Okay. But you guys will know as soon as as soon as they're ready to be. I, I, certain about it yeah i know you gotta ask him understood. yeah
7: uh wanted to ask about obviously the the run that they went on at the end mm-hmm. of the third quarter beginning of the fourth and then what changed for you guys to turn the game around
8: well i, I thought you know that we played some of the best defense in the half court that we've played in a while you know, I, I thought there was a, a few looks that we had um during that stretch that that might have changed it a little bit um you know, they were, they were getting stops, and they were able to get out. And, you know, I, I thought we were, we were running back. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Augustine got it going. I thought the end of the quarter really hurt us. You know, we gave up six points and um, one foul and one with the made three. And we had worked really hard to get to where we were, and sometimes that can be deflating. Uh, I thought we came out in the fourth quarter. You know, in a good place mentally, but then that was when I felt like offensively we didn't hit some shots and they they turned them in the bucket. So um, I think as much as that period of the game, um, the way that we finished the game with I don't know what the run was, but um, went from down seven to to what we did at the end of the game was just was really good execution and we took the defense back up to a higher level.
9: When you made the comeback, I mean, you, you got down, you're down by seven, I think, and uh, you were able to kind of turn it around. Can you talk about uh, the, the mentality it takes to kind of forget about the fact that you lost the lead, but you were still able to turn it around and, and, and get the win? Which, yeah, I, I think it.
8: there was one time out where, I mean, we were talking to each other, um, but to the extent it felt like there was some sort of discouragement on the team. You're always aware of that, and that didn't happen. You know, and I think the guys in the huddle that were in the game, you um, you know, kept their focus, and there was no hanging your head or this happened or that happened. You know, there was a couple mistakes, and you know we didn't let those mistakes split us apart as much as bring us together, and that's what the game reflected.
1: Quinn, you mentioned before the game that uh, ball movement and spacing mm-hmm. would would help the offense improve. It seemed like there were a lot of extended periods where that happened. What what's your evaluation of how the offense looked tonight?
8: Well, that, that's how we want to play, and. You know, I think I've said before it, it sometimes, um, sometimes it's not not easy, particularly if you get a little fatigued and um, you, you take some shortcuts. Um, but I thought we were, we were committed. You know, I think, you know, they made some plays at the rim, when, even when we got to the rim. Um, but that's, you know, that the if the ball can stay moving like that, the way our team's constructed, um, I think it gives a lot of guys to. The opportunity, different guys, the opportunity to attack. Um, You know, when you get tired and you're not, you know, you're taking the ball out of the net, um, sometimes that's hard. Um, But I thought, you know, down the stretch, we obviously, you know, went to, you know, Boyan and Donovan and a little two man game. And, um, you know, that's been a good combination for us and uh, keeps Rudy on the offensive glass as well.
3: Coach, you went with
7: a different starting lineup tonight, first one of the year. Is that? Are uh, you happy with the way that turned out for the first and third
8: quarters? Yeah, I've been reading all the blogs and then, and then tw- I got a tweet now too, so I'm just taking good advice from everywhere I can get it. Um, I filled up my car at the, the service station the other day, and they told me too, so I'm, I'm going I'm to try to listen. It's the, the you you all know how I feel about starting lineups, um, but I don't feel that way based on how the team functions and plays. I feel that way based on um, the mentality that, that we have about starting being such an important thing. And you don't want to be married to a starting lineup um, if it's not functioning the way you want. And that's not the case here. You know, the the, the, the situation itself, for instance, we changed the starting lineup when Mike went out. You know, that wasn't necessarily a function of us looking for something different, Um, but it made sense. And, you know, I think, you know, everybody's seen the way that, um, you know, Joe started to find his timing and some of his confidence shooting the ball. Um, We've started Royce. Um, That's kind of the, that's been the the two lineups, so to speak. We've started Royce. He's done an unbelievable job. You go down the list of, you know, Kyrie Irving, LeBron James, D'Angelo Russell. I mean, it goes on and on. Um, so having him in there defensively at the beginning of the game has made sense. Um, I think tonight we we were playing. We wanted to play Joe and Mike together. Um, we've been playing Donovan in three different. That that's a lot. Kind of how the team functions at various times. The starting lineup. You know, sometimes it dictates that because when you start somebody, they got to come out at some point. So when do they come out? Who do they come back in with? So those are all the things that that we considered and. You know, I think that you know, the best thing about our team is I pulled Royce in today um, before the scouting report where we announced the starting lineups because I, I, you know, I don't like guys to be surprised by those things. There's just the, and Royce is like, coach, I'm, you know, like I don't, I'm good. I want to win, and it's like, well, that's exactly why I want to tell you to because um, he doesn't care, Joe doesn't care. They just want to win, so we're gonna start the to, to guys that we think at a given time make the most sense. And you don't always finish with the same guys that start. We did tonight. Actually, we didn't tonight because Mike didn't finish.
7: Quinn, I, I believe this is the first time in your tenure that you've had two 30-point scorers in a game. and I'm just curious what that opens up for yeah. you as, as a coach with, with two guys who can score like Bogey and, and Donovan can.
8: I think it opens up the same things as one guy that gets 29 when another guy gets 28. <laughs> so I, I think that the, the consistent thing is what we talked about earlier um, when we – do have different guys that can make plays and, and get shots it's incumbent upon them to be unselfish and you know there's a few times Boyan moved the ball and you think no, why don't you shoot that and I, I think there's still times where we overpass um, you know one time it led to a three second call one time it led to a guy being out of bounds when we had a shot so um, those aren't things necessarily you want to quote-unquote live with but the mentality is the mentality we want um, you know Mike's had 30 in a game, I think, this year. You know, there's different. Guys. I don't know if Rudy's had 30, but 26, 27, you know, I don't know where you draw the line. Um, but it's good to see, you know, multiple guys be able to put the ball in the basket. And I think that balance is something that not only do we appreciate, but we need to take advantage of. Okay.
6: There was Quinn Snyder after his team beat the Magic last night 109, 102. Let's now let's hear from Donovan Mitchell, who had 30 points on 13 of 23 shooting, including some big ones down the stretch. Here's what he had to say:
10: uh, "Just relentlessness, you know. We're continuing to fight. You know, it's they're a good team. You know, they they we took them out of a lot of their actions, and then unfortunately they got hot. And you know, but we bounced back, and um, everyone did their thing."
8: Yeah, defense. We talked about half-court defense doing their thing down the stretch. There, you as well, really fueling it with that dunk. What is your mindset like in the huddle at those moments? Yeah,
10: honestly. Um, we just came out and said, Look, like, you know, they're going to make a push. We just got to be able to push back. Sounds good. Y'all know how guy's name I dunked the ball because I didn't have any legs the whole game to be honest with you but you know sometimes you just got to fight through it and play through fatigue and I think we all did that you know I think a lot of us were a little tired at the end you saw it but we fought through it.
0: Are you you trying to send a message or swing momentum with a big play like that?
10: I mean yeah you know I I understand with a guy like that you can't you can't uh you can't lay it up you know you got to go up there and try and dunk it and I'm hoping to get to a point you know where they treat like you know guys like Braun and you know stuff like that where they just move out the way you know I'm hoping to get to that point but I'm so small that people still want to jump so just got to keep trying to get up there and trying to dunk every chance I get. Uh, but like I said, I don't know how. Um, tonight happened. I, I didn't even dunk in warm-ups. I just didn't have any legs, but... You know, like I said, push through.
8: We talk about the unselfishness of this team. A guy like Royce tonight, whether he's starting, whether he's coming off the bench, what he brought for you guys.
10: Yeah, huge. I don't know if you guys saw me push him at the end. You know, because he just made so many big plays, stuff that doesn't necessarily show up on the stat sheet. You know, contesting shots, making shots tougher. You know, he took Terrence Ross out of a lot of stuff, and he's a he's a very good player, very good guy coming off screening actions. And you know, for him to be able to do that for us, it, it creates a a big spark for us and allows us to you know continue just to be who we are.
7: The bench seemed to be sparked when he had the 50-50 rebound where he's out, outsized and he makes it happen, and then the tip at the end for well, Jordan
10: was man that was that was huge that's just that's just, oh dang, y'all came in a hurry uh, uh, that's just who he is man making the extra plays and sacrificing his body you know for for us you know and that's why we respect him and respect what he does and you know being able to do that for us that's that's a it's a huge thing for us
1: you and mogi became the first
10: jazz teammates since wow um He found me, I found him. (laughs) uh, um, No, I think just for us, I think, you know, one thing I'll I'll say, you know, from the the past two years, you know, obviously you guys have known, like, you know, offensively for me it's sometimes been tough decision-making. You know, he makes my life a lot easier. You know, um, him, uh, he makes my life. I'm speaking just for myself, but obviously the team as well. But, you know, having a guy where you can run actions through, him making decisions in the clutch. And like I said uh, before, you know, when you get to, I think, was it six minutes in the game and under, like, you know, he doesn't –
9: Hey, chill
10: out. <laughs> he doesn't miss. You know, I think that's just having that type of confidence. You know, the ISO at the end where he hits the three. Like, I didn't think he was going to miss that. You know, and having that confidence, you know, being able to run and respace, knock down a three, um, makes our team a lot better. And then we just continuing. like I said for myself, to continue just to find ways to get better. You know, I'll um, hit two shots at the end. But my favorite play is, even though Royce traveled, like the two passes, you know, because I don't know if I make those passes in year one or year two, even earlier in this year. So that's that's what I'm trying to work on. But um, it's pretty cool to, to, to be able to do that
0: you go from 18 down to 18 up to 17 down or seven down in a matter of moments and how do you handle that mentally how are you guys able to overcome
10: that? i'm just fighting through i think just continuing like i said to be relentless you know other they're going to make a push they're going to make a run you know but we we know what we had to do and we knew what we had to do and you know we got stops got and, and got going you know it's continuing to push through and um at the end of the day, you know, we, we got a lot of guys that can score, we got a lot of guys that can defend, and we communicate very well.
7: That play where you find Boyan in the corner, mm-hmm. but like, you draw the traffic, are you sensing in that possession, alright, I must be drawing traffic because of the plays you're making pre-? You know,
10: the initial drive is, alright, I'm trying to get to the rim, you know, and then you see the defense collapse, and you always gotta have an eye of where Boyan's at, you know, that's pretty much how I operate him and Joe, like, when I drive having an eye, you know, where they're at, and I see him kind of sneaking behind Rudy, and Rudy rolling really helped, you know, because they Draws two for, for that, and then you know he's open for the three. So, being able to, like I said, I don't think I even explained it to you that in depth, you know, last year or the year before that. So, just being able to understand, all right, where's Boyan at? Like, how do I get him a look? How do I get Joe a look? Being able to, to find that, um, but just being able to drive and create.
7: But you're uh, mentally slowing all that yeah, down. Yeah, like for all sure. All that is now – it's so much more clear. Yeah,
10: for, for, for sure. I think it's just – it's not so much just getting to the rim now. It's like, how do I find the, the next guy? You know, because I drew three people and then he's open.
9: you got three games coming up now on the road. You had a tough road trip before, but now you've run three in a row. How do you use this uh, momentum to uh, go on the road? And well, one, we got to keep a lead. You know, we can't continue to do this because our, even though we played well
10: down the stretch, you know, we, we – I wouldn't say lucky, but we're getting, we're, we're doing our job. But we got <clears> to <throat> go from 17 to 25 to 30. We got to keep that, you know. So that's gonna be the mindset. Step on these team strokes from the jump. You know, we play a lot of good teams, and we just gotta be out there and go out there and just keep keep a lead one, and also play together like we have been. And just keep moving the ball. It really started in Minnesota, and um, we just gotta keep playing with that same intensity. And not worry about how many we won on the road, and just go out there and do what we do.
7: Guys, that's Donovan Mitchell. Let's go back to you.
6: That was Donovan Mitchell. Let's wrap things up with Rudy Gobert, who had another monster performance last night, 12 points, 19 rebounds. He also had five assists, and here's what he had to say after the game. Well, Rudy, tonight we know about the fourth quarter league going away, but you guys got control of
7: the game again. What was the biggest difference in your mind in terms of the game turning back into your favor?
5: Well, I think we did uh... – a I think when they, they made the run, it was really off of turnovers, you know, and and off of missed, missed shots. Uh, I think overall, we did a great job moving the ball, and and we were very solid defensively in half court, you know, and uh, I think it's great, you know, I felt something that I haven't felt in a while defensively, you know, as a team, We I think we we back doing the little things that, that's going to help us be a great defensive team.
7: At what point did you feel that in the course of tonight's game
5: from the beginning i mean from the beginning i saw that the communication was there uh we're boxing out on rebounds you know we're doing all of the details that uh we haven't done you know lately and that hurt us and tonight we did that and i think that's why we won the game
7: could you feel the game change on donovan's dunk not just for the energy on the floor the energy in the crowd and just the overall sense of what was happening
5: i think that's that's definitely shifted the momentum you know, and I think uh, I mean, I think right before that we we really we really try to get stops. You know, and I think that dunk really gave us a little spark. You know, and especially offensively, and you know, and and got us going. You know, we, we were like, okay, let's go, let's, let's win this game.
7: What is it like as a teammate when he starts to reach a different level like that? Because when he, I mean, there's a different level to him when he starts making plays like that so often.
5: I think it's great when he's aggressive and when he attacks the rim. You know, he, he has a great ability to you know, to attack in space and, and also is very athletic. So we can finish, you know, over the, over the top of pretty much anyone. And, uh, you know, when we play that way, it puts a lot of pressure on defense. And I think we did a great job tonight uh, doing that and moving the ball because they were really shifting in paint. And, you know, and we got we got some great, sh- great shooters in the corner. So it's it was big.
10: How much do you love this team on nights like tonight to let a group back in and then react and close out a basketball game, how much do you love the character of this?
5: Group? I mean, we, we got competitors, you know, we, we, we know that. We know we got a lot of pride and we know we gotta, we know we wanna be, you know, one of the best team in the world, no, not just the average team. And we know that, you know, it takes, uh, takes a lot of hard work and there's some ups and some down, but like I said, you know, if we do it as, as a team and we, we compete as a team like we did tonight, defensively and offensively, I think we, we're gonna get better and better.
9: Quinn said even after you got down that you guys were never even in the, uh, you know, you know what the mistakes you make that you always kind of had your composure in that you knew you could come back and win the game. How do you uh, maintain that level of uh, confidence in yourself knowing that I mean, for instance, you uh, blew a 17 or 18 point lead?
5: I mean, we know that NBA is a game of runs. Uh, some teams are going to make runs, they're going to get somebody going to get hot, we're going to be shots. we're going to turn it over. We know that at the end of the day, the last six minutes is really what matters and you know, and if we we gotta get be able to get to the next play and keep our composure. You know, it's it was still a tight game at one point. We got down five but we knew that, you know, we they made some tough shots and we knew that we were gonna make some shots that we missed, you know. So just gotta stay patient, you know, keep getting good shots, keep attacking, keep sharing the ball and and obviously keep getting the stops and the rebounds.
1: Lastly, before the game, that
5: ball spacing and or that spacing and ball
1: movement are kind of the keys to getting the offense up to its potential. How do you feel the team did in those areas?
5: I felt I like they were really trying to take away the role. You know, they were really they had a every time I rolled, I, I felt like there was one or two guys in there. So you know, it, we had to move it. We had to get off the ball either using me or just swinging the ball to the to the other side. And you know, and I think we did a great job doing that. And you know it was the game plan. I think the, I think you know it took us a little while to adapt, but we got shooters, and it's really tough to guard when, when we do that. You got three wins in a row
9: now. You're going to go uh, to uh, Atlanta, Charlotte, Miami. How do you use uh, what you've done now in these last three games and the practices you've had to move along and, and hopefully win some of those games in a row?
5: It's one game at a time. You know uh, we're going to get ready for Atlanta and. You know they're a very talented team, so I'm just gonna do what we do. You know, play as a team and and, and defend. And
7: you, said the the game. Sorry, game. Rudy, you said the last one. Sorry, Rudy. You said you felt good because the defense got it back a little bit. Some of the characteristics you want to see. Did you feel like your teammates felt the same way after the game?
5: I mean, if you know it, it feels good when we know that we we're doing that because it puts us in a position to get stops and and to win games. You know, and when we don't, sometimes we're gonna win, but that if you want to be the team that we want to be we got to bring that every night and that's how we're going to be able to beat the best teams you know in the west and and even in the east i mean that's how you're going to beat those teams by playing defense and and offensively you know putting a lot of pressure on on their defense
6: That's Rudy Gobert after a 12.19 rebound performance against the Magic last night. Talked about how the defense uh, felt better than it has in a long time as well. The Jazz beat the Magic 109-102. Up next for the Jazz, they hit the road for a three-game road trip. Things will start off uh, tomorrow night in Atlanta. That game will tip off at 5.30. Pre-game coverage begins 4.30. And, of course, you'll hear all the action right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.
0: There's the best of the post-game show. When we come back, what is trending? all the headlines. Stay with us.